Thank you, Lord Jesus, for that great gift to us that you are indeed our Savior. And thank you for Camp Syker, her mission, her ministry, her message. And thank you for these dear friends who go with us as we leave this place, the importance of their influence, the ripple effects that come out of our life. We thank you for the Holy Spirit who lives in all of us and who gives us hope. And we ask that you would bless this moment for the good of those who've gathered here and for your glory in Jesus' name, amen. Ron, I'm so grateful for Blessed Assurance this morning. Uh, as, a, as a way to leave Camp Syker, I'm reminded of when I uh, tutored uh, a, a blind girl in college. We didn't have our textbooks in Braille, and so I had the privilege of being her reader. And she was taking a hymnology class, and I was reading Blessed Assurance, the lyrics to her, written by a blind songwriter, Fanny Crosby, and got to that part, visions of rapture, now, bur <laughs> now burst on my sight. And I'm, I'm reading it to a blind girl, written by a blind girl. Visions of rapture, now I can't hardly even talk about it, it still, uh, because it was such a powerful moment in my life, those few seconds. And it's interesting, right, where we have these powerful moments with the Lord uh, that we le when we least expected them. And so here I am today, uh, mourning the last day of Camp Syker, wearing my black to show my mourning, um, and, and thinking about what a blessing that song is in my life, simply because of that memory, that experience, and, and what that song means for all of us. The assurance of our faith found in what our Savior, the Savior that we have all come to worship, has done for us. And so I, I think about that in terms of how can I encourage you, which has been my attempt all week long and, and probably have failed miserably, but at least challenged you, uh, to come to this moment and say, what do I want to give you as you think about the next 24 hours and packing up and, and leaving for your homes? You know, I, I, I think about what we, uh, how we get our identity. And, we, and I say, who are you? And you might say, I'm a mom or a dad, a, a, a sister or a brother, a son or a daughter. Or I might say, who are you? And you might tell me what your career is, your occupation. I'm an engineer. I'm a truck driver. I'm a teacher. I'm a grocer. I'm a technician. And I might say, who are you? And you might think of your achievements. You know, I'm Mr. Universe. I, I know you all think that when I'm standing up here or I'm Miss America, or I'm the most valuable player, or I'm the employee of the month, or I have 5,000 friends on my Facebook page and my last post got 3,000 likes or whatever it, it was. And you think, who am I? And we sometimes can think we are simply the sum of our accomplishments minus our failures. And that's who I am, little plus, little minus, and whatever the sum is, whatever's left over, that's who I am. And so you might take inventory of your failures, and you might say, I drink too much, or I lie too much, or I've been an adulterer, or I yell at my family, and maybe I summarize my identity in those things as well. 
And today, as I end my time at Syker, I, I want to share with you a cure for your identity of insignificance, a cure for this idea that I'm just whatever the total is of my good and bad decisions. See, there are a lot of things in our lives that we might need cured. Insignificance, strongholds, addictions, broken relationships, guilt, doubt, selfishness, fear, hate. I mean, you know what's in there that causes you at times to feel very insignificant, very frustrated. Because, because oftentimes people say, not only do I break the laws of God and maybe even the laws of my government, but to be honest with you, I even break my own laws. I even break my own rules that I have for myself. And I can beat myself up and feel pretty defeated. And I'll be honest with you, this morning, I started the day looking at a guy who's had some failures to be cured and still has stuff in his life to be cured. That would be the guy in the mirror. And perhaps you've woken up on some days and felt the same way. You know, there's still stuff in that person's life that I know God is working on and working with. And this morning, I want to bring the cure. Now, I don't know about you, but I love the Bible. I, I think it's a great place to go to find truth and to have God correct a lot of the misconceptions that I have about myself and about life in general. And so I tend to go there um, basically all the time. And not only does the Bible tell the truth about God's history, it tells the truth about you and me. And, and, and probably more than anything, I go there to again discover something that I need to discover. And the most important thing that I hope you've discovered in the past 10 days or whatever days you've been able to enjoy with us goes back to Genesis. You are made in God's image for a purpose. And if he took the time to make you, and if he went to all the trouble to save you the way he did, you must be incredibly important to him. You must be intrinsically valuable to him, no matter who you are. And so I'd like to take you to John's first, first John, the letter in the back of your Bible. If, uh, if you'll get your Bibles and go to first John, if you can't find it, it's right before second John. And I'd like you to turn to John chapter three. And I love the honesty of John's letter. I mean, if you look at the beginning chapters, first couple chapters, I mean, he essentially tells you that you're messed up without being a jerk about it. And he's just honest with you. And the first two chapters focus on God sending Jesus into the world to help us with all of our messes. And the greatest mess is our separation from God by our sin. And John writes to help us understand that we don't have to continue living in the consequences and the realities of failure. God wants you to know that you are in fact more than the sum of your accomplishments minus your mess ups. You are more than just two bags, one my good stuff and one my bad stuff, and I just hope that my good bag's a little bit bigger than my bad bag, and then when I go to God, you know, he's gonna look at those two bags and say, okay, you got a couple more rocks in the good bag, come on in. It's not like that at all. 
See, often it's personal failure or how you compare to others that gets the best of you. And you can feel very significant if that's all you focus upon. I, I, but nothing's increased that more than the advent of social media. I mean, honestly, I, I track all of you, I stalk all of you, and, and I wish I had your lives. Maybe. Today, I want to experience, I want you to experience the cure for that possible feeling of insignificance. Now, how we can measure ourselves or get our identity oftentimes just comes in those two simple words, the first one being success. How successful am I? And we define success simply in terms of the word accomplishment. What have I accomplished? It might be wealth or awards or titles or even your children's achievement. You know, you feel successful vicariously through the achievements of your kids, maybe. Or how we look. You know, models versus me. I mean, you know, I know it's hard for you to not stare. My, my cousin, uh, it was mentioned earlier, my, one of my cousin's kids is a model in Japan and now in California, and he's a fitness model. And so that's part of his uh, track, and so he has to show that all the time. And I do find myself with male envy and wondered why the genes didn't come to me. But you can even find your identity in good things, like generosity. You know, I'm a generous person, therefore I feel good about myself when I give things away. Or how much time or effort I put forth in my amazing skills. I mean, we can really find our identity in all of those wonderful things, success, accomplishment. But we unfortunately can also find our identity in our futility or our lack of accomplishment. You know, we had our goals, dreams, things we wanted to do and we didn't do them. And beyond that, there are those things that we've done in our life that we really regret and we feel like we've crashed and burned. We might have failed relationships or a failed career, find ourselves in deep debt, or maybe even feel like we failed God, or a family, or even ourselves. All of this can lead to a feeling of insignificance. So John's letter is honest about how we can feel insignificant, but also honest about how God deals with it and offers you great hope and encouragement. So with that lengthy introduction, now the second worst sermon in history, turn to John chapter, 1 John, excuse me, chapter 3, verse 1. Hear these words of the Lord to you, to your heart. How great is the love the Father has lavished on us that we should be called children of God. Now, it's really something we all need to think more about, that little verse is so important as we unpack our identity in terms of his significance and how he looks upon us. Because the cure for insignificance is to remember God pours out his love on me, on you. I'm so glad John used the word we translate in the English, lavished. Perisuo. Everybody say perisuo. Yeah, you are Greek scholars right now and probably spit on the person in front of you when you said it. Because this word is so important, though. Over 
and above is what it means, exceeding the ordinary, way beyond what is expected. This great love he has lavished upon us. I remember when my kids were little, I'd take them down to Kings Island, and we'd go to Splash Landing at Soak City. I don't even know if that's still there. I haven't been there in a while. Um, but it was wonderful because they'd go play with all this water spraying everywhere, and you know the whole idea was to put your suit on and get wet. And there was this ginormous, that's a word, ginormous bucket clear up at the top of this whole Soak City part of the park, and it would be constantly filling with water. And then the children would stand there anticipating that once the thing's almost full to the top, it would tip over and all of that water would just come pouring down upon them. They thought that was the greatest thing in the world. I thought it was going to be a requirement for chiropractic when it was over, but here it went, big bucket, falls over, completely drenches them. Men and women, that's the definition of lavish. When God totally consumes all of us, with his love, his compassion, his care. His concern is so profound, he will do everything necessary to get us out of insignificance, to show us just how valuable and important we are to him. Lavish love, no matter how you compare, or even no matter what you've done, God is always for you. God is always for you. Wow, I really want you to hear this as you're driving home. God is always for you. And his love has been poured out upon you. He's always present to show you how much he cares and how much he loves you. Now, a little later in the letter, John tells you something that is absolutely the best news you will ever hear in your life. In John's gospel, it just happened by accident, coincidence, that it was the same chapter and verse that it is in 1 John. 1 John 3, 16. This is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us. See, just when you start to think that your life hasn't mattered much, or when you start to think perhaps you've ruined your life, know this that God thinks you're so significant that he came to this world and put on your human flesh and took all of your guilt upon himself when he finished his salvation work upon the cross. And there he wants you to know that he has taken all of that failure and all of your shortcomings and has forgiven you, redeemed you, washed you in his love. That, men and women, is how important and significant you are. Now I get it, many of you who have grown up at Syker, lived at Syker, thought Syker was actually heaven on earth, have heard that reality preached many, many, many times, here and in your home churches, and yet I don't think we preach it to ourselves enough. That that kind of love shows just how important I am to God himself that he would go to that much effort and trouble for me. God has dumped an endless bucket of his deep love upon you, and he wants to put his endless love 
in you, his perpetual love, his present tense continuous action love, he wants to place within your spirit. And he does more than just say he loves you, he proves it with the ultimate sacrifice, his death on the cross. You know, my, my wife Stephanie used to talk about this all the time. Uh, her wonderful father passed away uh, four and a half years ago. It's hard to believe it's been that, that long. Um, but we talk uh, all the time about him. We have wonderful memories of him. And she said, you know, one of the things my dad always had trouble with is saying the words, I love you. And, you know, I mean, here's this beautiful daughter, their only child, and, I mean, he loves her dearly, but for some reason, I don't know what it is, maybe the Madison County machismo, I don't get it, but he, he struggled with that until later in his life, the last couple years of his life, he would say it more and more. But I'll tell you this, he might not have said it much, but he sure showed her. He showed her all the time. He was always there for those special occasions, those things that were important, he never missed. He always provided for her. He was always fixing things for her. He wanted to make sure she knew that she was safe and cared for. And he might have struggled for some reason, we never did ask him with the words, I love you, but he definitely proved it on a daily basis. And, and, and after all, when you think about it, perhaps the greatest thing in her life where he showed her that he loved her is that he told her she should say yes to me when I asked her to marry him. Now, I mean, come on, seriously, it doesn't get any more proving than that. Okay, that's fine. You don't have to laugh at my jokes. I'll laugh at my own jokes. You see, God is not only good at saying I love you because he says it often in his word. He's been very good at showing his love, coming here in his grace and forgiveness and the cross and the empty tomb, all for you. And it's more than sentimental flowers. Those are great. It's more than chocolate. Some women have told me even greater than flowers. It's better than the repetitive plots of Hallmark movies. Rather, it's strong, it's loyal, and it's sacrificial love so that you can know how deeply he cares for you. And here's the thing. He doesn't stop there with the ultimate sacrifice, remember, lavished upon you. He takes our significance to him even further. Let's read again. Beginning with verse 1, chapter 3 of 1 John. How great is the love the Father has lavished on us that we should be called children of God, and that's what we are, he says. The reason the world does not know us is that it did not know him. Dear friends, now we are children of God. I mean, think about that. The cure for insignificance is to remember that God makes us one of his children. I mean, the creator of the universe. I'll go back to the very first message of the week, and these space telescopes are showing us the billions of galaxies that God has created, and that God cares deeply about you, so much so that he's adopted you as his child. 
John helps us understand that often the way so many people find their identity is in comparison or accomplishment or failure, and they do this because they haven't really met God. And beyond meeting God, they've missed out on the best thing about God. God shows his love for us even beyond dying for our sins. He makes us his own child. You, men and women, are a child of God. I mean, just pause and try to wrap your head around the depth of that, the magnitude of that, the beautiful reality of that. You're a child of God. You know, there, there have been times Stephanie and I have welcomed people into our home to live with us. They've been going through whatever they're going through. They needed help. Some college students who couldn't afford housing or some families who were going through a hard time. You know, we just had them come live with us. And we said it to them. They would say, why would you do that? And we said, well, you're like family. You're like family. So you're welcome to live with us. You know what's so beautiful about God? He doesn't say you're like family. You are family. You're not just like family. You're not just called family. You are his family. When you receive this incredible gift, he makes you his child. I mean, if you go back to John's gospel even, he says it this way, yet to all who received him, to those who believed on his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Children born not of a natural descent, nor of human decision or a husband's will, but born of God. I like to insert, but actually born of God himself. And I could say I love you, and I could even invite you to visit my house. I can even invite you to live in my house. Just to be clear, though, I'm not doing that right now, but I could. And it's a completely different thing to actually adopt you and make you my own child. That's how significant you are to God. He not only loves you, he adopts you, not just into his family, but into his one-on-one -on -one relationship with you. He is your father. And when everything you have used to find your identity has left you empty, wanting more, feeling insignificant, remember, you are full-blown, lavishly loved child of God. The Bible even says so much so that you are an heir, H-E-I-R, not E-R-R-O-R, -R an H-E-I-R heir of his kingdom. And when you get that, then you ultimately get this. Let's keep reading. Verse two. Dear friends, now we are children of God, and what we will be has not yet been made known. But we know that when he appears, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. And everyone who has this hope in him purifies himself just as he is pure. Now, Dr. Juniman was telling us this morning in Bible study that, you know, we can live the long game. We can look beyond the struggles of this life, the difficulties we face, and sometimes the greatest difficulty is our own failure. 
And yet ultimately he says, I want you to know that the cure for insignificance is that we can discover who God made us to be all along. Now, as we said before, some say I'm a truck driver, I'm a doctor, I'm a teacher, I'm unemployed, I'm an ex-con, I'm an addict, whatever it is you can say I am, God wants you to know today that you are so much more than your job title, you are so much more than your good and bad choices. He has made you with a purpose, with a mission that he's gifted you to discover. You have a place in this world where you can bring glory to him and serve him, not because you wear some title, but simply because you discover how he's wired you and how you can use all of those gifts to bless others and honor his name. When John makes clear throughout the letter that this is sometimes when we let sin get in the way of that discovery. We can chase hard after the next shiny thing, or the next big promotion, or the next euphoric feeling at the expense of missing what God has made us to accomplish. So he tells us what we are here is just the beginning of what he has in store for us in the long term. And we can enjoy living our lives right now. He wants us to. But we also discover that what we are now and what we're doing in this earth is a part of his eternal plan for our eternal existence. One of my favorite verses in the Bible is found in a letter the Apostle Paul wrote to his protege, Timothy, Dr. Juniman's been talking to us about all week long. Actually, for me, two weeks now, because I got to hear him at Hollerock as well. And here's what he says in 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 9. For God saved us and called us to live a holy life. He did this not because we deserved it, but because that was his plan from the, before the beginning of time to show us his grace through Christ Jesus. See, you're so important to him that he created you with a plan, a purpose, before you were even born. And he has a plan for you in eternity long after you finish this earthly, physical life and enter the life that is to come. You're playing the long game. And look again at what he says. Again, verses 2 and 3 of 1 John 3. But we know that when he appears, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. And everyone who has this hope in him purifies himself, just as he is pure. See, he not only loves you and adopts you as his own child, he makes you into the person he originally designed you to be in the beginning. This is a wonderful promise. And when you finally get that, receive that grace, he says you purify yourself. He removes all the stains and consequences and guilt and confusion associated with your identity of insignificance. And all of a sudden, you now have an identity of great significance because you realize of all the people you can impress in the world 
And therefore, because you're connected to those impressive people, you think you're impressing other people? He's offering you a connection to him. I mean, I don't care who the most famous person is, the person you'd love to meet, the person you want to have dinner with on your bucket list. I mean, whoever that is, he's better. He's stronger. He's gracious. And he is your spiritual father. You know, I, I don't know if any of you have ever gone through this thing called the Emmaus Walk. I did this thing called the Emmaus Walk. It's a wonderful retreat. And uh, a, a lady that I worked with sponsored me for this. And, you know, I thought I'd been to a million retreats and there was nothing I could really do new, but I loved her. She really wanted me to do it. So I said yes, and I went kicking and screaming. And, and they have this rule at the Emmaus Walk that you aren't allowed to tell the other guys or in the ladies' walks, the other ladies, you aren't allowed to tell them what you do, what your occupation is. You're not allowed to do that. Um, and the reason is because, honestly, we look at people and we size them up oftentimes by what they do. I'm a banker. Hey, there's a banker. And then we think of them and how we're supposed to talk to them, and maybe we're intimidated by them. Maybe we think we're better than them. But nonetheless, when, we, when they say they're a banker, we get these ideas. So you're not allowed to do that. And it's amazing the tremendous transparent conversations that can take place when you don't measure people by their title or their job or their accomplishments or their wealth or even their fashion, although you did see that. But you have these conversations with them because you all come on this equal plane of just being a person, a human being walking through their, this time on the earth. And I was blown away by the humility shown by these people because then at the end of the retreat, you actually can, at least in our case, you actually can then identify what you do. And, and it was a beautiful moment when you began to look deep into the heart of these other guys on this retreat with you and realize every one of us are equal, equally loved, equally desired, and equally saved by the grace of God. God already knows who you have become. What he wants you to discover is who he created you to be. And men and women, he wants to cure your identity of insignificance with a huge dose of his reality, his grace, his love so that ultimately your identity is not found in how you compare or how you perform. When you start thinking, you know, I could have done more, and that happens a lot, or you start thinking, you know, I really messed that up, and maybe you did, or you're consumed with, I just can't fix this, or you think you're significant because you've reached the top of your company food chain, or you've raised some great kids. Those are all good things. But remember, more than anything, before anything, in spite of everything, you are a child of God. If you've received him and believe 
and his wonderful name of salvation. So say it with me. I'm a child of God. Say it out loud. Yeah, say it out loud. I am loved by God. Yeah, do you mean it? And say it out loud. God has a holy purpose for me. How great a love the Father has lavished upon you. And because of that, you are indeed significant. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, what a great gift you have given to us, not just in what you did for us on the cross, but this gift you have given us in the Word and the Spirit to know that we are your children, that you love us dearly, and our lives are so much more than our accomplishments and our failures. So thank you for this wonderful gift. We celebrate that today as we think about returning to our homes. We'll go with encouragement from your word and your spirit that we are your children. And we'll praise you for who you are. We'll thank you for what you've done. In the magnificent name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Come on, let's stand and let's worship the one who lavished his love on us. Jesus, 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 there's just something about that name. Master, Savior, Jesus, like the fragrance after the rain. Jesus, 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 let all heaven and earth proclaim kings and kingdoms will all pass away but there's something about that name so would you bow your heads and you pray your own prayer of thanksgiving and this morning, just receive that truth that he loves you, that you're his child, and that you mean the world to him. You pray in response to what you heard this morning. with these prayers of praise and thanksgiving, Lord Jesus, we now receive the cleansing and the filling of your spirit. And so as we go to our cottages first, our meals today, our fellowship around these grounds, and ultimately our homes, 
We pray you would keep this truth upon our minds and our hearts so that we would desire nothing more than to live for your glory because we can't help it. We're so grateful that we are your children. And we pray this, yes, so that our lives can be blessed, but we pray it also so that we would lift up your name and all people would be drawn to you. We love you and thank you for all you've done in us and all you will do through us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you so much, Camp Psyker. Loved this time together with all of you. God bless you.